So we're actually going to be spending the next three services going through Genesis 1. And I know... All right, everyone, calm down. Relax. Uh, we'll be in Genesis 1 uh, for, our, um, for our theme this year, which is building family. Genesis... You guys are doing great. Genesis... Um, Genesis is a book that is about 10 generations and how God actually moves. And actually, God reaches the world through these 10 generations, really through one family. And we're going to be talking about how we in Charlottesville, Harrisonburg uh, and beyond can really reach our community through family. Okay. Uh, and so we'll be beginning in Genesis one. And we're going to look at an aspect of it today. Sunday will be a more of a scientific perspective and then next Wednesday will be a relationship perspective. Today, we're going to talk about something that you'll find out about here in a second. But Genesis is one of those books. People are fascinated by Genesis 1. People want to talk about Genesis 1. I remember when I was at Virginia Tech, we went door knocking in my neighborhood. And we, I would invite people to a Bible discussion. I knocked on this guy's door and... I asked him about coming to Bible discussion. He just goes, what do you think about Genesis 1? He goes, do you think it was all, you know, the world was created in seven days? Is it 24-hour days? How did God do it? Let's talk about that. You know, he wanted to go right to the, the how of Genesis 1. Kind of the way we think today with our um, really post-enlightenment scientific method brains is we want to try to figure out how did all that happen? How did it really go down? Is Genesis 1 accurate uh, from our perspective? Um, and so that, that's a good question to ask, but we're going to ask a different question tonight, maybe a more important question, but not, not the how of Genesis 1, but the why of Genesis 1. Why did it happen the way it did? Why? What's the purpose beyond it? And anytime there's a purpose, anytime there's a thought behind something, it, it gains value. There's some people in this church who are very good, very thoughtful people. Uh, a person who's, who's quite thoughtful and a big fan of the podcast is Edwin Baldelamar. I mentioned Edwin quite a bit, uh, but... Edwin's a brother from the Honolulu Church, and uh, he comes out every now and again. He'll be back here for two more months, actually, here soon. But Edwin's always thoughtful. Edwin's always showing up with some kind of gift, some incredible gift that I can never, ever, in a million years, even if you've met me with the amount of thoughtfulness I have, ever repay. But Ed was always, Edwin's always finding this, like, he got me this uh, U.S. men's uh, soccer jersey that's, like, authentic, and then he got me, like, a... Uh, he always finds these like really cool uh, glasses, like drinking glasses. They're inscribed and things, and he brings them. And I remember when Jenny and I were in Europe, I was like, I should get a gift for Edwin, you know, to kind of repay all the gifts he's given me. And when I came home and gave it to him, I realized at that moment, it, it was never commensurate. It was never going to be what he gave me, but it was just this like plastic cup. And I remember thinking in the moment, this is going to be great. And then I gave it to him. And he was like, oh, thanks. And I was like, oh, man, it's not even close to what he gives me. You know, like I'm just... I'm not, a, I'm not good at that. I'm not a thoughtful, I'm not good with the thoughtful gifts, but other people are so good at it. Andre's really good at it. Yeah. Andre showed up at my house once with this suit that he found. He made him think of me. And he was like, this is fit. I thought I bought you this suit, you know, because Andre's a good uh, deal hunter. And it, so it, a lot of you guys in the church are just thoughtful. And, and things mean more when, you, when you're thoughtful, right? If someone gives you a gift, it's like, this is nice. But if it's like, oh, you know, I actually was wandering the, the, the marketplace and I saw a gift and it made me... Think of that one time eight years ago you mentioned it, and I got it for you. And you know, like, that's like a different ball game. It's like there's, there's, a, there's a thought, there's a purpose, there's a reason, there's a depth to it that makes it powerful. And Genesis 1 is important because 
It's the, it's the question of why are you and I here? Is it all just random? Is it all just going to come to an end when we die? Or do we go nowhere? Is it over? Uh, is there a purpose? What is there a purpose in the beginning? And Genesis 1 has these great few words to start. In the beginning. Words that people all over the world, when they hear it, they think of Genesis 1. And we're going to read Genesis 1-1 right now. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered the waters as he called, uh, he called them seas. God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced veg vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in according, to, in according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark sacred times, days and years. And let them, be lights, uh, let them be lights in the vault to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great luminaries, the great luminary to govern the day and the lesser luminary to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth, across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and, all over, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and every other living creature that moves on the ground. 
Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground. Everything that has the breath of life in it, I have given green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. There's a lot going on in the book of Genesis. And of all the things that happen and that go on in the creation of Genesis, we're going to talk about one thing tonight. And uh, my title of my lesson is Image Focused. Or if you wanted to write image obsessed, I like that one a little bit better. Image obsessed. You ever been image obsessed? Kind of just all you think about is how you appear to people. Especially this time of year, you got to go to the gym, you got to work out, you got to, all the commercials are about gym memberships. Um, kind of like our image, how you look. When I was a teenager, I was very image obsessed. I had an acne problem and I was keenly aware of every blemish, where it appeared and how I looked and I would... You know, I'd, if I knew I had a pimple here, I'd kind of talk to people like that. You know, I'd try to hide, give them my best, my best angle. You know, I was aware. I was aware of my image and I still, I still can be. We live in a society that's very aware of our image. You know, people, you ever see somebody, you're walking by and they're like taking a picture of themselves and they look at it and they go, eh, and they delete it and they look at another one and they, eh, and they delete it and they, and, they get the, and they get the angle and they get the filter and they take 19 photos to get the perfect one and then they, okay, that's the image. That's the image I want the world. That's, that's the image of Drew, the world will accept. And, it, and that image was good, right? Like the, like the first day. So we can be very image obsessed, but I want to talk today about the Imago Dei, the image of God, that God created man in his image. What does that mean? What's the importance of that? We're going to talk about that tonight before we move on to the rest of all the depth of this verse, of this chapter on Sunday. Um, and we can be very image obsessed, but the question is, to what image are we trying to conform? What kind of image are we trying to portray? And what kind of image does God want us to portray? How are we trying? What, what's, what's the point? What's the purpose of this passage? And it's not like this. It's not to be image obsessed. It's not to be focused on our appearance. You know, I, I don't think, I don't believe that we're creating the image of God means that we physically look like him. Uh, it could be a part of it, but it's not necessarily what the verse is getting at. But when it says God created us in his image, it's this word cast or to form or to smelt, to, to, to work on, to build something in his own image. He cast us in that image. And as God creates, this is a beautiful, beautiful passage uh, and, and all the poetry and all that happens in the original language. And God builds excitement and momentum with each passing day to his great pinnacle of creation, which is what? Woman. Which is woman. <laughs> from, a, um, from a Hebraic perspective, the greatest, the greatest creation is mankind. Uh, <laughs> though I understand your perspective. And I'm reluctant to debate it. <laughs> but the, the greatest pinnacle is, is the Hebrew word for mankind, which is Adam, which is mankind. 
We use the word sometimes man. It doesn't mean men. It just means mankind. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Right? Um, which was a mistake, by the way. He was supposed to say one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. Because it's redundant. You can't take one small step for man and mankind. It's just, that makes no sense. So anyway, it was a mistake. Fun fact. Many, many years later. But we're back. Pinnacle, woman, uh, six-day image. Okay, we're back. So the, the, God's created the, the, the man and the woman here to be in his image. And he's building suspense. It's a beautiful day. Genesis 1, as he creates. And he really gives man two roles. And we want to talk about those two roles tonight. And if you notice, what does God do when he creates? So there's nothing, right? And God is... God is God. He can create from nothing. None of us can, in fact, do that. But God creates from nothing. And there's no, this vast void, void wasteland. Then what does he do? He says he actually brings light and darkness. He takes the void, he separates. Then what does he do? He creates land, but he, he divides. He divides water up here from water down here. He creates a vault. So God is constantly dividing. He's separating. Every, he's giving everything. He's, he's, uh, it's, it's proper place. Uh, land animals, land, obviously, sea animals, sea, right? And he, 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 even, even mankind, he divides. He says, okay, male and female, equal parts, mankind. And so God, one of his primary roles in Genesis is a separator. Uh, and so the first point of what our role is, is that we're shaped to separate. And not separation as we think about it to pull apart, to destroy, but separate to bring about order. God goes from chaos in Genesis to order. A lot of you guys, if, if the food on your plate touches, you freak out. It needs to have order. It needs to be separated. Okay? That makes you feel good when the food's separated because it's appropriate. It makes sense. But a lot of us, this is, this is how we view world, the world too. Is anybody, Any kid who runs into the house tracking mud through the floors will inevitably hear what from mom or dad. Uh, Take off your shoes, right? Because you're tracking mud. That, that mud's inappropriate for the clean floor mom just, just cleaned or dad just cleaned. And so the world actually needs spheres. Uh, pl- uh, there is a time and place for everything. Now, as we live in a continually pluralistic society that says everything is okay for anyone all the time, we live in a culture that disrespects really appropriate setting for different activities. But since the beginning, since, the, since Genesis 1, God begins to assign uh, uh, the, the appropriate sphere for each activity, for each role in life. And really, it's clean, unclean, isn't it? It's, it's holy, unholy. It's setting the path for really how God is going. How does God actually reach out to the world? Well, he does it through a family. And what does he, what does he encourage Abraham's family to do? To stand out. You'll actually be distinct. You won't actually sacrifice your children for the fertility goddess. You won't actually uh, just go around sleeping with whomever you want. You'll actually, you'll have a, a you know, you'll, your marriage, your, your kids, your parenting, your life will actually look distinct. And that's actually the goal for all of us, even though we live in a world where it's, you couldn't tell most Christians from non-Christians, mm-hmm. right? And, but, but here, God, since the beginning, our purpose is to, to separate. Once again, not to pull apart, but to, to bring about separation toward order. There's a great lesson here, too, in hard work. Do you notice that God here is working? And the word for work in Hebrew actually is like a skilled work. It's like a skilled labor. 
And God is actually working here before sin enters the world. And Abraham ends up working before the, uh, not Abraham, Adam ends up working before sin enters the world. Work is a very good thing. Work is a blessed thing. Work is not a curse. A lot of times we think work is a curse and we become lazy. We don't do our best at our jobs. People at work can't tell that we're Christian because we're the, we're the, we have the least effort, right? But listen, but see, God says, no, work is good. Work is good. Uh, and so there, there's, a, there's a, and I'm getting into my second point a little bit, but my first point is this idea of separation. And for us to really be, to be aware of how beautiful in the right context things can be. And an obvious one, just an obvious one, right, is, is sex, right? I mean, it's, it's sexual activity. That the world says, go after it, take it how you want, do it how you want, fine, age doesn't matter, gender doesn't matter, do it, who cares, right? For the most part, I mean, maybe with some bounds legally, but it's just heading that way anyway. But God says, no, actually, in, in marriage, this is actually the correct context for, for a sexual relationship. And in that context, it is at its best, and it's at its purest, and it's at its true form. It's a spiritual, it, you know, so it, it's different, right? And friendship, and we can go on and on, anger, right? All of that is just us taking activity that's inappropriate for its context. Yeah. It's not meant to be that way, but we, we and our, our problem is the same problem that's going to happen in chapter 3 with Eve. She's going to jump beyond the bounds, jump beyond the boundaries of what's appropriate and what is what, what God's decrees are. And we could go all day. And I, I remember even a time in my life where I tried to, you know, we had the question of like, especially when you're young, like of why is sin sin? And why is sin a bad thing? And like, and I remember even as a young man trying to figure out logical reasoning why sin is bad. Okay, uh, don't lie because lying destroys friendship. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, and then, okay, what are other sins? Okay, drunkenness. Drunkenness, okay, could depreciate your ability to say no to other sin. So it makes sense that drunkenness is a sin. And I was trying to find out logical reasoning for all the sins, which was a problem because Drew's logic is fairly limited. My brain, uh, my, my intellect is not, you know, uh, omnipotent. But the thing I love about Genesis 1, you know, when I, when I was challenged by this passage was God is the author. God sets the bounds. Why are the land animals on land? Because God stinking said so. Right? Well, hold on. Why? Because maybe if they, hold on, the blowhole and the blowhole transferred over time and then maybe Darwin and then maybe, and then, you know, we live in a world where we have to, we have to make it all fit. And I'm not saying those things are wrong. I'm just saying, saying God said so. And there's nothing wrong with God said so. And parents, by the way, there's nothing wrong with dad said so or mom said so. It's actually, you're helping your kid understand. You don't have to know the reason why. This is the way it is. This is the way God did it. Have you accepted God's, God's decrees or have you tried to create your own? Have you tried to create your own bounds of, of right and wrong, your own good and evil? And you've tried to kind of live in the gray for, for all this time. But God's very clear about the line. And the thing that we love about God is he has really powerful boundaries. And boundaries are really important. Yeah. Like any of you know, the, the rules of the road are very important to obey, as I've witnessed tonight. Right? <laughs> Because if you don't obey rules of the road, um, people get hurt and, and things are damaged and someone has to pay, as I will figure out over the next few days. Um, next point, created to cultivate. So not just shaped, not just shaped to separate, but created to cultivate. Now, if you, he says something else about man. Fill the world and subdue it. 
One of the problems, I think, with Christians, we have a few problems, I think. One of the problems, I think, with most, most Christian thought, modern Christian thought, one is that I don't have to take care of my body because I'm just going to heaven one day. That's a side note, and no Jew ever thought their body was going anywhere. Uh, when Jesus rises from the dead, um, he's in his body. So, side note. But I think we can say, who cares about my body? I'm just going on to the, the, next, the next life. We can also do the same thing about our, our earth, our world. Who cares about the world? We'll just go to heaven one day. So I'll just dominate. I'll exploit. I'll, t- I'll, I'll take all that I can get. I won't have any concern for anybody else, anything else, any creature, any whatever. Right? But here, God says, fill the earth. And so the word subdue is actually this. It's, it's, in the context, it makes more sense that it's this idea of cultivate. It's a gardener. Right? It's a, someone to really bring, bring about the best of something. That doesn't mean we all have to be vegetarians. Praise God. Okay? Doesn't mean that. But it does mean we're created to cultivate. We're created to work. We're created to get the most out of everything. To work hard at your job. For people at your job to say, man, he comes early. He stays late. For people in your class to say, wow, she does her best on her schoolwork. And not because she's you know, obsessed with her worldly image. She's obsessed with her godly image. Right? Or I'm going to do the best of my job so I can get promoted. No, not the worldly image. I'm doing my best of my job because God created me to do my best to cultivate, to, to, to excel as much as I can, to do all I can, but to do it because God works and I'm going to work as well. I'm going to do the best I can. But it's not to exploit. It's not to colonize. It's not to take advantage. It's not to, to, it's not to destroy like mankind has. But it's actually to, to be able, like a garden, to take care, to prune, to weed, to water, but to really bring, whether that's our life, our, our, our body, whether it's our job, whether it's our kids, no matter what it is, for us to work really hard. Now, the beautiful thing about this week is that it ends with that seventh day, which is the day of rest. I can't get into the day of rest at this time, but it is a very, very, very important day. Uh, it's a, the Sabbath is a very important thing to keep for all of us even today, to be able to rest after we work hard. But I honestly think a lot of us as Christians, when we become Christians, we actually become more lazy. And it's a shame because I think we think, oh, I'm just, I'm good. My soul is okay now, so I can just be lazier at work, lazier at school. I can kind of just laugh. I can kind of just do everything worse now. But actually, it's, it's, it's not our beginning. It's not our purpose. It's not from where we started. Uh, to, to do those things. We were created to, to be able to not just find appropriate bounds and, and to be able to uh, obey those bounds, but to be able to work hard to bring chaos to order. That may mean that today you go home and your living room's in chaos. It would be very Genesis 1 of you to clean that living room, to take that chaos and bring some, some fine boundaries, some order. And at the end you could say, there was morning and there was evening. Whatever day it is, on Wednesday. You could say, and you could, or what you could say is you could help your kid clean up a little bit or work or do some dishes and say, and you could see that it was very, very good. Um, but this is, this is the stuff that we are made of. But there's a big problem. Uh, we're created to work hard. We're created to be able to live within our bounds. But what do we do? What do you do? You leave here and what do you do? I know you do it. You step over those bounds. You... Don't work hard. Take advantage. You cut corners. You deceive. You get away with what you can get away with. 
Uh, I think it's, it's all of us. And, and, you know, in life, there's something called uh, uh, entropy. You're, you're, everything is in a, on a path to basically destruction. We just, it gets worse if you don't act. act if a, a force is not acted on it to make it better, it just gets worse. So every, everything, is, as God builds that image in us, we move toward just getting rusty. We move toward getting rusty, and we don't, if we don't actually pursue this, uh, sadly for those of us who are not Christians tonight, or who maybe you are, maybe you've been looking at what it means to be a Christian, but you're, maybe you're insecure about these very things. Can I really live a life within the bounds that God creates? God's created boundaries. It's true. He has. But maybe you have an insecurity of, you know what, I have a heart that wants to take me beyond those boundaries. I don't know if I can really do it. Or maybe you have a heart that knows that, you know, I don't have a heart that lives above reproach. I've been, lying, I've been lying about how I'm really doing. Maybe you are a Christian. You decided to make that choice. But honestly, you haven't really been living with all your heart committed to the gospel like you should. And I know it's a tricky thing. But you know what's beautiful? I think what gives me chills as I read Genesis chapter one is this, how God begins. But this is not just the first chapter to Genesis. It's the first chapter to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. But it's not even just the first chapter to that. It's the first chapter to the Old Testament. But it's not even the first chapter to that. It's the first chapter to the Bible. It's the first chapter to everything. It's the beginning it's, in the Hebrew, it's the, it's the Rashid, it's, the, it's the everything. And even John, as he begins his gospel, he says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. And any Jew would go, beginning? I know that word. That's important. That's Genesis 1.1. And every time we see in the New Testament this idea of beginning, we see little hidden signposts that point us back to the original thoughtfulness of God, the original purpose, the original gift as God was walking through the marketplace and, he's, and he, he had it all planned the whole time, this gift for you. Because something powerful happens in this passage. Did you notice it? We're, there's something really interesting about this passage. You kind of go, that's interesting. That's weird. And as we all kind of even struggle with that, as I'll point that out here in a second, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all blown it. And so we got to just own that right now. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of that glory. The glory of God really being Genesis 1. Genesis 1 was God's expectation for us to live with him in the garden, to be able to live that life with him. But what did we do? It wasn't him that left us, but we left him. We decided like Eve that we would actually, you know what? I, I, don't, I know God that you said that about, about relationships, but I'm still gonna you know, hook up with this boy. God, I know you said that about idolizing academia, but I'm still going to give my life to this schoolwork. God, I know you said that about whatever, put it in here, anger, gossip, friendship. But we decided to transgress. We decided to not listen, not to not live within God's bounds. But something powerful happens in this little beautiful moment in verse 26. What does it say? say then God said, let us, Make mankind in our image. What's this we stuff? That's probably, that's what I used to say when my, my dad would, would come home on a weekend and he'd say, Drew, today we're going to spend the whole day um, doing errands. 
And I would say, what's this wee stuff? I ain't going, I'm just, you can do it. I'm not going with you. I didn't, you know, and then I went with him. But what's this wee stuff? You know, I used to, <laughs> I had a friend who used to say, what's this wee stuff? You got a frog in your pocket? Like, what are you talking about? Because if my dad says, we're going to go to do chores today, and I say, what's this wee stuff? Do you have a frog in your pocket? Like, are you talking about you and the frog? You're obviously talking about you and the frog because you're not talking about me because I ain't going. So. Wow. This is a jam-packed podcast. You guys are tuning in. You're getting everything here. Feel free to use that one, by the way. Unless it's disrespectful, then don't do it. But if you want to. But what's this we stuff? God said, let's, we're going to create mankind in our image. The whole passage is first person. Then we get there and it's now this plural stuff. Who's we? Who's us? What's he talking about? Is God like the Queen of England? Does he have the divine, the, the, the royal we? Is it like, well, we all thank you for coming. Like what's God, what's he mean by this we, this plural stuff? Hop over to Colossians chapter one, verse 15. Colossians 1.15. There's nothing more discouraging than setting up a goal you know you cannot reach. Who's already failed their New Year's resolutions? I mean, you know, like... I remember... Uh, I remember I was uh, in college. I remember talking to somebody. And I was so cut by a recent bout of struggle with sin in my life that I told a friend that I was going to pray every day for an hour until I changed. And that friend said, do you think you should come up with a goal a little bit more realistic? You know, and I was like, I can do it, but I didn't do it. I failed, right? And then I got discouraged and I quit. And so you know, if you have a, this, this lofty goal, it can be discouraging if you don't have someone who understands what you're doing, someone who understands what you're going through. So you don't have a realistic expectation. Um, and in Colossians 1, verse 15, a beautiful passage, it says, the sun is the image. The sun is the image. Now, where have we just seen the word image? That's the Greek word icon. The sun is the image. That's amazing. Of the invisible God. It says that Jesus, because if you're reading this as, a, as a, anybody who's read Genesis, the word image is a trigger word. It takes you then, right there and then. If, like if I said anything that you would immediately transfer over, like in a galaxy far, far away, you all would know, oh, wow, Star Wars, here we go, Star Wars, coming on, Star Wars. You'd have, in your mind, you would set the scene for Star Wars. And any number of things I could say that would make you think immediately of, if I just said Hogwarts, you'd be like, whoa, Hogwarts, what's he going to do, Harry Potter something? And so you, there's words that just bring you right back. I don't need to explain it. A lot of you that know it, you, you bring your go right to it. So the sun is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. You know, as we struggle to really strive for, this, for, the, for the, the goal of discipleship, knowing that we have, that things are going to fall apart, there's only one way to keep those things together. 
And that's in Jesus. Next part of the passage says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead. Now we don't just have image. We have beginning. He is totally taking us to Genesis 1 here. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead. Well, what does that mean? Not only was Jesus the firstborn in creation, that he was before creation, Jesus was the first to rise from the dead. That Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he actually turned around the fortunes of the world and began redeeming the earth and all its creation so that he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood. And this is an incredible passage. We have, we have it all. In the beginning, God created what? Things on earth and where? Things in heaven. Right? We are to be the image of God in the beginning. This whole passage is bringing us right back to Genesis 1 and trying to help us reinterpret it. To a Jew, Genesis 1 was just, wow, God really wants us to be good people, which is not so different than what the world wants us to do from their perspective. But now in Colossians, in the New Testament, we look back, and like Paul says in Galatians, as we read the Old Testament, things become more clear through Jesus, that actually in Jesus, through his death on the cross, he's reconciling all of creation back to himself. And that in Jesus, we are able to achieve that glory. And lastly, one more passage to be able to see how can we exactly do that. And that's in 2 Corinthians. Hop over there. We'll close out in 2 Corinthians 3.12. I'm going to turn there as well. 2 Corinthians 3.12. It reads, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses. Now, who wrote Genesis? Moses. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull for the, to this day when the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. If it has, if it has not been removed... Because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Even when I read Genesis 1 tonight, some of you may have felt like a veil covered your heart. Like, okay, Genesis 1, I've read it before. It's not that interesting. I don't know. Like, is it really even that accurate? Like, okay, good point. It's been a long day. I went to work. I'm just you try, kind of trying to wrap up here. And those can be real thoughts. Those are thoughts I have when I read the Bible, certain texts that I've read over and over and over again. But I love that the Bible says only in Christ is the veil taken away. Only in Jesus. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And when the Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Hold on. I thought you said that God created all these bounds and boundaries and restrictions. And how can you have freedom with restriction? I don't get it. We've talked about this before, but 
restriction, contrary to what a lot of people, especially young people, think, is that restriction actually brings freedom. You're able to drive faster on the highway if there's a guardrail in between both oncoming traffic. If there's no guardrail, everyone goes slower because they're afraid they're going to get hit. There's no fear with a guardrail. You're able to actually go faster. Somebody who decides that they're actually going to not go out on a Friday night, but actually maybe let's just say work to play an instrument. That restriction actually allows them the freedom to be an incredible musician. And that restriction brings freedom. And I think the lie that Satan gives, and he gave it in the garden, just like he's giving it to you tonight, he's giving it to you over the last few months, is, hold on, God, why does God want to restrict you? If you, come, if you become a, a Christian, are you really going to be okay? Are you really going to be able to get the job you want, date the person you want? Are you really going to be able to have the money you want? Are you going to be able to live where you want? All those restrictions, I don't know, that church, like, is it really the right church for you? And, like, Satan comes at you with all these, all these attacks about, you're not going to be free, you're going to be a slave, you're going to be... You're going to be forced to do what you don't want to do and get out of there. You got to have, you got to be free. I want to be free. But no, listen, we can't eat. The veil still covering our hearts. When we turn to Jesus and we see that it was Jesus who gave up freedom to be able to die for us. He gave up this. Jesus being in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead made himself nothing. And then we experience true freedom. And in verse 18, we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. Yes, into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. You know, when we look into that mirror, the goal is is that we're being once you become a Christian, you repent you get baptized, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit, he works on you to transform you day after day, year after year, so that every month, every year, every decade, you actually look in the mirror and you look a little bit more like Christ. That the image of God is Jesus, that we are actually striving to be like him. We are striving to look like Jesus. And I love that it's not by our perfection, not by our ability, not by our performance, but as we contemplate the Lord's glory. So the question for us tonight is when's the last time we contemplated the Lord's glory? We talked in December about listening well to scriptures, about reading a passage and then just for 30 minutes imagining that passage. But do we contemplate the Lord's glory? Do we contemplate the beauty of Genesis 1, creation? And it's amazing when we spend time in our minds and hearts how our behavior changes as well. But my hope for tonight was for, some, for us just to realize the beauty of one of the most well-thought-out, thoughtful gifts of all time. That when in the beginning, there's God and there's Jesus. Say, hey, let's, let's, let's create man in our own image. You know, how cool is that? Let's, let's, let's do it. God and Jesus decide to do that, along with the Holy Spirit, right? But they know one thing. You're not going to follow. You're going to fail. So then what do they do? They give up. No, they don't give up. Jesus goes, you know what I'll do? I'll go down there. I'll become one of them and give them not just hope, but someone who can relate to their struggle because we still have a job to do. We still want to bring them. We want to reconcile them back to ourselves. We love them enough. Just like a parent would never give up on a kid. We're going to continue to love them. We're going to go down. We're going to get to their level so that they can strive to to, to be little Jesuses 
as we walk around Charlottesville. And we will. What's, what's beautiful is that we don't have to know what to say. We don't have to know the right answer or know the right scripture. But people will actually see the difference in your life. If you're a husband who gets advice, if you're a, a, a wife who seeks some counsel, if you're a, a single who dates in a pure way, you betcha the world, will be, the world will see, wow, those people live by different boundaries. They were shaped to, to bring some helpful separation. They were created um, to be able to cultivate beauty in this world, not to exploit, not to subdue, and not to marginalize. So amen, let's bask in that glory. Let's, let's be excited about that. Sunday, we'll talk about the scientific perspective on all this. And then Wednesday, the, relation, the relational aspect of Genesis chapter one.